Pastor Xavier Reese and the biblical model for marriage. As I say, by the power vested in me in Jesus Christ, I pronounce you husband and wife. The two become one, not two. Too many people even in Christ live as two. My checkbook, your checkbook, my cookies, your cookies. No, our, our money, our kids, our problems. They're no longer two. They're one unit. Compliments to accomplish the purposes of God through marriage. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. With the divorce rate at an all-time high, Christians notwithstanding, what's so good about marriage anyway? Well, today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of Genesis as he explores what God had in mind when he set up this covenant and how we can get back on track. Here's Pastor Xavier with our text for today's study. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 25, and the message is entitled, The Icing on the Cake, Woman. Let me read our text. And the Lord said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called the living creatures, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to Adam. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because... She was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Here's the threefold description of the creation of woman for the covenant of marriage. First, the declaration about Adam needing a mate, verse 18 through 20. Secondly, the operation on Adam to obtain a mate. Verse 21 through 23. And then the celebration of Adam with his mate, verse 24 and 25. The declaration about Adam needing a mate is foundational, 18 to 20. Notice in verse 18, the command and commentary on Adam being without a mate. It's very clear, straight to the point. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. The comment by Yahweh Elohim was that it was not good for man to be alone. The phrase here, to be alone, simply means to exist in solitude without one that's comparable or like him. He would make a helper comparable to him who would be his counterpart or complement for life like him, but opposite to him to complete him in what he lacked, the suitable helper. A wife is a suitable, appropriate, fitful helper, one to complete the man. The declaration was that Adam needed a mate. Hmm. Notice the operation on Adam was to obtain a mate then. 
Verse 21, the critical surgery was undertaken by God. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. God, Yahweh Elohim, then constructed Eve, the woman. He took the bone, flesh, and blood, and he made it into a woman, not from the feet of man that he might trodden her underfoot, not from the head of man that he, she might rule over him, but from the closest part of his heart that she might be by his side, be the closest and completing him for life. Matthew Henry said that. Adam also identifies, notice, the woman by her opposite gender. In delight, <laughs> he calls her woman. I personally think he said a well, man, but, you know, just <laughs> Adam indicates the reason for identifying her as woman. He was the source and the origin of the woman. Adam acknowledged that the woman, Eve, was taken out of man himself. Adam understood his close relationship as a divine intention for man and society. Adam comprehended she was his mate, embracing her with joyful gratitude and appreciation. Granted, this is before the fall, but this is the potential after the fall in Christ Jesus. God desires to perform the same surgical operation on every man as he did with Adam. Having him to submit his life to dying to self in order to obtain his bride in the proper relationship as God intended it between husband and wife. In Christ, it is possible. We live so full if we live in obedience. If I live in disobedience, I don't live to the fullness that God wants me to. I may be saved, but I don't live to the fullness. And all of us know when we sacrifice the full, complete intent of God for something less. We know it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus is the model. Ephesians 5.25. Now, if Adam had to die to self to obtain a bride, a type of death, if Christ died to obtain the church's bride, am I to think that I don't have to die to obtain my bride? Of course I do. Having a wife completes a man as God intended it. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, the head of Christ is God. And there's no inferiority at all. It's God's creative order. For protection, for benefit, for good. For God's glory. The man's the type of Christ. For the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Ephesians 5.23 again. What an equal peril that is found nowhere else in Scripture in the New Testament. Christ, the husband. Wow. Listen to Ecclesiastes 4.12. The one may be overpowered by another. Two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The husband, the wife, and God. You take God out of the marriage, you've got a mess. You must have Christ in the marriage. Any man or woman who does not recognize the goodness of God in giving them their mate will abuse and ruin the marriage. We are bad news. Men, you are the most responsible to your wife because you're the head of the home. She will respond to you. She will respond in how you treat her how you express your love for her, 
your tenderness or your rudeness. She will respond to you. She will be a mere reflection of your actions for the most part, okay? Because you initiate, she responds. God made her for you to complete you. She's God's gift to complete you, to help you. The operation on Adam was needed to obtain a mate. God has to do heart surgery on me to prepare me for my bride, to enjoy my bride, to cultivate my bride. Notice thirdly, you have the celebration of Adam with his mate. Verse 24, the design of God in marriage was for community influence. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. When God brings that one special woman to a man for marriage, he is to be separated from his parents. There is to be a severing of parental authority. The statement is interesting, in fact, because these newlyweds didn't have parents. God knew what was going to happen with the human race. He sets the stage. This doesn't mean that you abandon or neglect your parents, but there is no more authority. In other words, they're not going to say, no, you can't stay out all night. You have to come home. No, you can't go to the show. You're new authority. You establish a new home, okay? Too many people, young people, get in trouble because they let their parents meddle. They live with their parents, and their parents feel they have control over them. Listen, you get married. If you can't provide a place for your, house, for your wife, you have no business getting married. If you can't take her out of her father's house and provide a home, you're not ready for marriage, okay? I'm not talking about giving her equal stuff, but you can provide shelter, roof over her head, give her some clothes, give her some food. Both of you suck it up and work your way through. That's good, all right? You be careful. Now, this is for the protection of both the newlyweds so that your marriage doesn't get unnecessary weight and strain. The boundaries have to be set by both of you to both in-laws, alias outlaws, okay? There's to be a new authority through the headship and completion of the man. You're creating a new home. When God brings that one special woman to the man and they enter marriage, he is to be joined to his wife, severing and now cleaving. There's to be a cleaving to this new authority then. Now, the word join or cleaving, depending on your translation, means the gluing to his wife and wife to her husband. It is the same word that is used for Israel who should have cleaved to Yahweh in Deuteronomy 10, 20 and many other portions. It's a marriage relationship, faithfulness. The closest and the most binding relationship of all. Your children, as much as you love them, they're going to leave you. Your wife and your husband is never going to leave you. There is to be a submission to the new authority. For efficiency, not inferiority, that's not the issue. For the glory and honor of God, not for self. And so there is to be a commitment to the covenant of marriage as God's institution for the Christian. To be marked by steadfast love, faithfulness, fidelity. Listen, listen, couples. Don't ever speak to anybody, your friends, nobody about what you and your wife say and do. Unless you both are agreed. Confidentiality. Never. We do not counsel a husband or wife alone. We always ask them to come together 
If a husband or wife refuse because they're either carnal or they're non-believers, then we are very careful how we do this and we give many of the women to the women so they can talk on those issues. But you be careful of confidentiality. And if you do go, if you're a Christian and your husband and wife is not, you ask them, I'm going to go to counseling. It's okay if I go. You want to submit. You want to be honorable. You understand? You don't want to let them think that you're being treacherous and betraying them. It will not help the relationship. That's to be based not on emotions, not on unrealistic views of romance, not on situations. We're in it till death. No one gets out of here alive <laughs> in marriage or in life. That's what God says. When God brings that one special woman to the man and they enter marriage, they will become one flesh. Notice that. Underline that. The one flesh takes place at the altar, by the way, before God and the witnesses, not in the honeymoon bed. As I say, by the power vested in me in Jesus Christ, I pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss your bride. <laughs> You've become one flesh before God and the witnesses. The word here, one, is a cad, the same word compound unity that was used in Deuteronomy 6.4 for the Trinity of God. So you have two persons, yet one flesh. The two become one. Not two. Too many people even in Christ live as two. My checkbook, your checkbook, my cookies, your cookies. No, our. Our money, our kids, our house, our problems, our mess. They're no longer two. They're one unit. Compliments to accomplish the purposes of God through marriage. Now the one flesh also indicates sexual oneness, of course. And um, as the most intimate expression of their love the sexual union God intended from the beginning. This is a commitment, not only of the physical, but emotional and spiritual. Will you commit yourself completely to one another before God and each other? As a means to strengthen your relationship, your commitment and love to each other. As a means to celebrate the oneness of your two bodies into one. You can kiss, you can hold hands, you can embrace, you can hug, but there's nothing that compares to the oneness of the sexual union between the two. And God has intended this from the beginning in the context of marriage. As a means for ever uniting the husband and wife through the children that will uniquely be a combination of the husband and wife. You look at them, they look so much like the wife, then like the husband, and then God forgive us, they act like us too. And those, that binds you. The command is in the proclamations, you two are one. And then God says, watch and see that I'm telling the truth. Look at your kids. Two into one. <laughs> Interesting. And it binds you together. As a manner of obtaining a unique form of pleasure and joy with each other and from each other. Interesting. The woman makes a better man. Being all he can. Absolutely. Ladies, you're the icing on the cake. This would be a boring world without you. I don't understand guys that get married and all we want to do is hang out with the guys. You got brain damage. Why get married? Marriage is honorable among all in the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge, Hebrews 13, 4. God blesses the sexual union. And he confirms it here in verse 25. The design of God in marriage was for contentment sexually. Listen. And they were both naked, the man and the woman, 
his wife, and they were not ashamed. Their nakedness was perfectly normal and right due to marriage. Prior to the fall, the principle of sin and sin nature was not present. We understand this. This is before the fall. The word naked there, underline it. It's a word arom, meaning to bear, to be bare, meaning unclothed. The commentator Delis says something interesting. Listen well. They were naked, but yet not so. Their bodies are the clothing of their internal glory, and their internal glory was the clothing of their nakedness. In a way that we do not understand. They were innocent. They, it, it was a whole different state. But after the fall, God clothed them with the skins of animals. That's chapter 3, verse 21. They saw their nakedness all of a sudden. Their eyes were open, chapter 3, verse 7. And the word there for naked is different. It's the word erom. The word play is seen in the Hebrew. Their original nakedness, arom, and the word cunning of the craftiness of the serpent in 3.1 is arum, which results in the nakedness of erom, which comes from the root of the subtlety. So the nakedness that was appropriate became an entrapment to fall under the nakedness of judgment of God. And yet in marriage, the shame is removed. Though there is a slight bit of uncomfortableness and embarrassment at first. The fall. God created you and that woman for each other. To delight in each other without fear or shame in the institution of marriage. And that the blessing of God is the combination of your children. Amazing. The man and the woman were not ashamed due to marriage. Due to the fact that God designed marriage for male and female. Due to the fact that God created them male and female in purity before the fall. But due to the fact that the covenant of marriage is to be marked by steadfast love, faithfulness, forgiveness, patience, tenderness, compassion. Passion itself. That has to be cultivated through Christ. It doesn't come naturally. Daily I have to not be a creep. Daily I have to die to self. Daily I have to remind myself I have to be ex-Christ. Daily, I have to depend on the power of the Spirit of God. We're completely vulnerable at this point, aren't we, in marriage? You give yourself completely. You know more about each other than anybody else. You bear everything before each other, and there you are. And you know that you're doing it with trust because that one loves you, cares for you, cherishes you, and will protect you. Protect you. Also due to the fact that God was directing their lives and how it should be lived. He gave them how to live. Adam was to protect her, to provide for her, and to give her spiritual direction, which he will fail as we look in the next chapter. Hmm. Listen to Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. Listen well. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. And this is romantic language, okay, so don't get offended. Uh, you have dove's eyes behind your veils. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like uh, flocks of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing. Everyone bears twins and none of them is barren among them. In other words, she has all her teeth. Uh, they're white. They're straight. Um, your lips are like strands of scarlet and your mouth is lovely. Your temples um, behind your veil are like pieces of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built on an armory on which hang thousands of bucklers, all shoes and mighty men. Pretty strong lady. Um, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of gazelles, which feed among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadow 
flees away. I will go up my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. He delights in her. He ravishes on her love. Yeah, I've been married 30, 40 years. So what? What's your point? Are you cultivating your relationship? Marriage establishes a monogamous union of a new home within society. Keep your parents out of your homes, young people. They only come in by permission. Have family times, but you make your decisions. You discipline your children. We don't have time for all this. We've done it in different series. And parents should be the first one to say, if we step out of bounds, please confront us. Please let us know. I would not want to create problems for my children. They have their life. Both of you will reap the benefit. The family home is the key to a healthy society. Family is the nucleus of society. For that reason, Paul expresses to the Corinthians the importance of marriage, as he says in chapter 7, about having your own wife and your own husband and not being immoral with the temple prostitutes and all. And he goes on to speak how you're not to deny one another sexually, but by consent and only for a time. Don't try to set a world's record. Then come back. That's, you're tempted. Okay? And by permission. And the submission is to the man. Man, you have a duty to your wife. Don't neglect her. Real simple. Okay? Sex is not a one-sided issue. And it's not one, not one person decision. My wife's body doesn't belong to her. It belongs to me. Mine does not belong to me. It belongs to her. And so, ladies, if you have a headache, take aspirin once in a while. <laughs> and men, when your wife says, I have a headache, be sensitive. Don't pout like a little kid. You understand? There's to be a great celebration between the husband and the wife and their sexual love. Listen to Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let your fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. I mean, we don't have time this morning. We can go into the divorce rate and all this and that. Paul speaks about it. Hey, you stick with your husband. You stick with your wife. You hang in there and work it out. If you have a non-believing husband, 1 Corinthians 7, don't leave them. A non-believing wife, don't leave them. Be an example. If they leave you, then you're set free. If they commit for adultery, you're set free. But you as a Christian can't trade in your non-believing husband if you come to Christ. You have an obligation to remain with them, to love them, to, to pray for them, to be that light for them. Perhaps they may be saved. Malachi speaks of divorce, how he hates divorce, and how people were coming to the temple. Oh, Lord, we love you. And they were trading their new wives, their old wives on the new model and everything. You guys are a bunch of liars, a bunch of hypocrites. The divorce rate in the church is equal, if not higher, than the world today. Something is definitely wrong. Do you know the requirement, number one requirement for elders and bishops? Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.2, 3.12, 5.9, Titus 1.6, it is this, husbands of one wife, home in order. It is the marriage, it is the home, it is the wife, it is the children that are the requirements for a person to serve, not their degrees, not whether they know Greek, Hebrew, or whatever, big Latin or whatever. It's your home. Pretty interesting. The celebration of Adam was enjoyed with his mate as his wife in marriage. And so here you have the creation of the woman for the covenant of marriage. Described by the declaration about man, that he was in need of a maid, it is not good the man should be alone. The operation on man was needed to obtain that maid. God built the woman from Adam. And the celebration of Adam 
was enjoyed with his mate as his wife in marriage. What can we say? That's the best. Ladies, you're the icing on the cake. Whoa, man. Pastor Xavier Reese and the high calling of the covenant of marriage. Now, you may be interested to know you can request your own CD copy of this encouraging study titled The Icing on the Cake Woman. As always, it's available for just $4 on either CD or cassette, and all you need to do is let us know which you prefer when you contact us. And you'll also hear what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together. The title to ask for once again is The Icing on the Cake Woman, or simply mention today's date when you write. Here's how to reach us. Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Why is sin so enticing? That's our topic on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com